Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Thinking Fan FC Premier League podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. Today, I'm joined by soccer analyst Harshal Patel, coach David Seymour, and professional footballer Dre Fortune. I'm host Chris Mumford. Bella Ciao. We're sponsored by the Premier League Guide, a 300-page book for those mad about football, Moneyball for Soccer, Opposition Analysis Plus Eye Candy. The next update or current update is available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. So match day 26 seemed to have a couple of key marquee matchups. We're going to unpack it and see which was a bust and which actually lived up to its billing. I think there were a couple of surprises. Um, I guess the first marquee matchup of sorts to top four teams, number one, uh, Manchester City and number four powerhouse West Ham started the weekend off. David, help us unpack that match. Yeah, it was, I mean, obviously I'm talking as a West Ham fan, but I think even if you looked at it from a neutral perspective, it was a really interesting game. I think West Ham defended pretty well throughout. I don't know, you know, restricted City to pretty low percentage shots. Um not only did City manage to, you know, they they didn't get as many shots on uh, um, on goal with sort of a higher expected goal than they might have they might have hoped, but West Ham actually succeeded pretty well in in getting some good chances on the break as well. So I think uh, City fans seem to be pretty happy to have gone away with that two one win, and I think that a draw or even potentially a West Ham win might not have been totally out of the question obviously City had more possession but what we saw we saw West Ham sit deep and I thought that West Ham were going to go with a 5-4-1 when I looked at their formation but it seemed to sort of uh, have a, a kind of I, I guess you could say a 5-4-1 but it, it was certainly more attack, attacking uh, than I thought it would be I thought the pressing um, of the front three to begin with was particularly interesting and pretty successful as well. So I was quite impressed that West Ham actually gave that more of a go. I think in previous games against Liverpool and certainly against Manchester United in the second half, I think West Ham didn't really look to to catch the opposition. I think they were looking to sit in and just hope they could they could snatch a win or potentially just get a point. But actually, there was there was despite less possession, there was some interesting attacking play from West Ham. So. Even though uh, the Hammers lost, I think they would go away from that game going, do you know what, we gave that a real good go. And I think at the end of the game, you could see the disappointment in a lot of the West Ham players that they got uh, a loss in that game. You know, David, I, you know what struck me about that is possession's kind of what you'd expect, right? 63% uh, Manchester City. Though Man City had nine shots versus um, West Ham six. Uh, and it was really three shots, Man City versus two on target. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly enough, the XG was 1.46 for West Ham mm-hmm. versus 0.65. That's right. Yeah. And so it seems like West Ham, and, and again, these are just broad uh, metrics, but it seems like West Ham did pretty good against Man City, where frankly, a 2-1 is respectable, but creating better opportunities is probably very respectable outcome. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at the higher XG total, that's encouraging as a uh, you know as a West Ham fan. But I think when you see that that total came from fewer shots on goal, then obviously that's even more encouraging. Mm-hmm. And um, so obviously West Ham were able, despite having less possession, were able to get a higher XG per shot value over the course of the game. What was interesting as well was that I don't think West. I think West Ham had one shot in the second half. I could be wrong. I could be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure they had one shot in the second half, and that was right at the end. That was that Issa Diop effort, which, I mean, if he got it on target, there's a very good chance that one goes in, or if he potentially just pulled it back a little bit. Uh, I can't remember who was close to that. I want to say Suchek or Dawson. Someone was very close to getting on, potentially onto the knockdown of that. So there are a couple of real sort of like good quality chances in the first half. Uh, Antonio, obviously... That was a very like high XG shot, but you know Lingard looked sharp early on as well. I think that I guess you could say Pep probably expected West Ham to play their way they did. You know, sit in, be solid, and look to hurt the opposition on the break and on set pieces. But to be honest with you, it's what West Ham have done in a lot of games. So maybe it doesn't come as a massive shot, but it was it was good to see that it was effective. Right. Well, they have a heck of a schedule coming up, so uh, we'll we'll see where West Ham is. And meanwhile, it seems like Man City is 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 cruising along, though they got quite a challenge. Um, also, what happened on the weekend? Uh, West Brom and uh, beat uh, Brighton one zero, which is a bit of a surprise, I think, up for all of us. Uh, we're going to talk about Brighton a little bit later on in the pod. Um, Aston Villa um, squeaked out one um, against Leeds. Um, it was not a beautiful game, um, but it was still a win, uh, 1-0 with Aston Villa. Um, I want to turn our attention to that other marquee game, which, quite honestly, I think all of us, we we got wrong on what the outcome was going to be, which is Arsenal 3, Leicester 1. Dre, what was your impressions of that game? Uh, well, first and foremost, I was very pleased with the uh, with the outcome, with the result. But yeah, I think I think it was a positive showing from Arsenal in, in a matchup with the team in the top six. I mean, I think recently um, those have been few and far between, but it was much more positive from them. I mean, William and Pepe looked, they looked at their best. I, I thought, I mean, I, I thought they were brilliant in terms of running at, at defenders one V one and being able to turn and attack space and the movement off the ball was, was good in the final third. And from that, you know, you get three goals and, and, Obviously, you can talk about how, you know, there's, there's handballs and stuff like that, which lead to the free kick and, and the penalty, but or, or not the free kick. Sorry, the free kick was was a questionable foul. But yeah, I mean, I I, I was just very pleased, particularly with Pepe and how, how he was so aggressive. And, and he looked like he wanted to affect the game and get something done. And I think that's what people haven't seen very much from them recently. Um, so, yeah, at the end of the day, I think I think it was just a, a good result from them. Uh, and even, you know, to talk about Leicester, I, I thought they started the game off, you know, very brightly and, and it, their defensive shape and, and their pressing and it obviously led to their first goal and definitely question marks over the defending there from Arsenal, which is not, you know, it's not the first time we have those. But uh, yeah, all in all, please, please with the result. And I thought Arsenal did quite well. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. When Leicester scored that first goal, it was like, okay, here we go again. Um, but, you know, Arsenal had 53% possession. Uh, I wasn't sure who was going to have more because Leicester is, does have that expansive gear that they do. 
there were 19 shots on target, of which Arsenal had the edge. I'm sorry, there are 19 shots total, uh, of which Arsenal had the edge, and there were four on target for Arsenal versus Leicester's three. Um, unfortunately, um, uh, Arsenal made a mess of, of Schmeichel in terms of uh, number of goals allowed. Um, Harshal, any thoughts on, on, on that match? Yeah, um, I was a little surprised with the lineup that Leicester put out because in terms of, uh, you know, Brendan Rodgers going for a 4-4-2. He's not done that too often. He's played with the back three a lot this season. Then when he And then when he got most of his defenders back fit, he went back to the sort of favoured formation, which is a 4-2-3-1. Mm-hmm. Maybe because they don't have James Madison fit enough at the moment. They didn't have somebody to play as a number 10. He moved to a 4-4-2, but it didn't work because, I mean, yes, their pressing did lead to the first goal, but I thought for the rest of the game, it there it was a little bit. Um, I mean, it wasn't working. There were uh, there were a number of times where Arsenal were able to play through the press, and there was a lot of space between the lines, between the midfield line and the defensive line that, that Arsenal were then able to take advantage of. I thought, especially in the first half. Um, so I thought uh, Rogers maybe got that wrong a little bit in terms of, if not the formation, uh, the the space that there was there between the between the lines, and um, that's probably something he'll want to work on. And uh, I, I mean, we Leicester are in the top four at the moment, but again, there's a huge chance that I mean, there's a huge danger that they could fall out of the top four in a very similar manner to how they did last season because Harvey Barnes is injured now, and they they're not going to have him again for now. Apparently, the next six to eight weeks, and he's been a huge part of their attacking play this season. So Madison's obviously still coming back to fitness. I'm not sure when he'll be back, but if you, you they're not going to have Madison, they're not going to have Barnes for some time. So I wouldn't be surprised if, again, come the end of the season, we're, we're sitting here talking again about how Leicester had a brilliant, say, 50% to 60% of the season, but fell away towards the end and, and finished outside the top four. And that's a real danger, I think. That's yeah, so I, I'm inclined to agree with you. What we thought may happen indeed has happened, uh, except that it's not Vardy, um, whom we thought was probably the most likely suspect. Um, Dre, what, what's your sense of how Arsenal could finish up here. I mean, are they, you know, are, are they starting to bang on the door a little bit in terms of they're in 10th place right now. Uh, but if you look at um, their points at 37 points, if they win another, all the, all of a sudden, you know, they're going to leap over Tottenham, which is in eighth place. And they're in the, uh, you know, then they're starting to vie for the so-called Everton, Everton cup position. Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, it, it's it's tough because I, I think every time they seem to be putting together some some run of form, they end up slipping up. And, um, you know, the, the three teams above them have a game in hand. Aston Villa has two. So it, it's going to require, you know, a much more consistent run of games and and, and getting the results. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too too excited about it right now. I mean, I think I think six or seven places is, is definitely you know, a, a spot that they can reach, but uh, they're going to have to be way more consistent than they have been. So, David, Aston Villa's got 39 points and West Ham's got 45, and you've got Chelsea, Liverpool, Everton, Tottenham in between. That fourth slot is going to be a real dogfight along with the Europa spots. Any 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 thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think that um, you've got to be careful even saying that Second and third are tied up. Uh, I, you know, as alluded to, I think 
Leicester looked tired mm-hmm. in, in that game against Arsenal and uh, potentially, you know, they could they could maybe drop some points coming up as well. And then United haven't been in the best the best of form, I'd say. So those, I mean, if you looked at look at Chelsea, they've been a, a revelation since Tuchel's took over. You'd have to say Chelsea on current form will get top four. Then you've got Spurs who surely can't play any worse than they have done in the previous couple of months. And do you know what? Gareth Bale's starting to look pretty good. They might put a run together. They're not necessarily out of it, even though they're they're a fair way back right now. And then Everton and Villa and, and West Ham have just been so consistent this season. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see who takes those Champions League spots. I like, yeah, you're right to say fourth fourth place is is the real one for you know a toss up. But I don't think it's out of the question to suggest that uh, second and third could get drawn into it. What do you guys think? Is that a crazy opinion? Shell. I'm just I'm just gonna jump in and say that David mentioned every team other than the defending champions here for top four. We haven't spoken. Oh about yeah, Liverpool sorry. Yeah, apologies, Liverpool fans. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine. I mean, I don't think anybody could have imagined that we won't even be mentioning Liverpool in the race for top four this season after they won the won the league. That, sorry, yeah, and if I, we're talking about Chelsea, I do think Liverpool will, will definitely put a run of form together. Yeah, I mean, I'm not deluded. I don't think West Ham will get top four, so. I think um, Chelsea, Liverpool, yeah, Liverpool got a great shout. Who knows? I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think United and and Leicester are safe in that top four? Not by any means. I, I don't think so, no. So, I mean, the thing is, I was looking at some. I mean, something related the other day. Obviously, City are on an absolute crazy winning run at the moment. They could probably, if they go on winning, they'll, they'll get the European record, which is at 26 at the moment. They're at 20. Um, other than that, the highest winning streak by any team in the league this season is four games. No team has won more than four games in a row in the league this season. I think United. Uh, I think United have done it once. I can't remember who the other teams were, but I remember seeing United's name on that list. A couple of other teams that have done it for uh, have basically won four games in a row. So no team has been able to put together a sustained winning run, and I think that's going to continue for the rest of the season. So what's going to happen is that, I mean, nobody has been able to you know, be a uh, sort of pull away in that sense. Even if you look at the table right now, uh, United are five points clear of West Ham in, in fourth place. And that's not a huge margin by any means, especially given how United haven't been that solid. So I absolutely agree. Even second and third are still up for grabs. Fourth, a lot, a lot of those definitely teams is. still have to play each other as well, don't they, Harshaw? Yeah. So it could be some really interesting games. It's going to be quite as, yeah, as as Chris said, it's going to be an absolute dogfight. And I, I obviously, I don't think that's going to be just for the fourth place. From second to fourth, like every Champions League spot, other than obviously the champions, is uh, is going to be well, fairly what, hard. What's off. mad as well is that there, there will be some of these teams that we're talking about who will miss out on just Europe altogether. I mean, even Arsenal as well down there who are, you know, are starting to look a lot better as well, Dre. I don't want to jinx it, but you've got right now, if you're looking at a table, you've got Spurs, Villa, and Arsenal all missing out on European football if the table finishes as it was and if seventh place became a Europa League spot. So I mean David, yeah. just to just to jump in there, seventh place I don't think won't be the Euro- will not be the Europa League spot. There's a new European competition coming in from next season. Oh, the, is it the, the, it's not the second the Europa the Europa Conference League, I think it's called. That's right. So yeah. I think the team in seventh 
it depends on who i think it depends on who wins the uh, wins the carabao cup so oh, if so you're absolutely right and i've read about that yeah. and i thought you know what yeah. i quite fancy that as a west ham fan we might actually win now, now the great the great thing about the about the uh your europa conference is that everybody gets a participation medal uh, <laughs> david i just want i just want to remind you that um arsenal makes europa league again after they win europa league or they make champions league. <laughs> oh right oh because you're gonna win the, you're gonna win the europa league this year right you know Last year's FA Cup was the way in. This year, they're going to win Europa. So it's all good. Well, it's going to be interesting. Man City's got, of course, the Manchester Derby coming up. They've got Leicester on the first week of April. And then they have um, Chelsea on May 8th. Uh, I'm, I'm omitting, um, you know, and they've got to play um, Tottenham in the EFL Cup. So final. So that should be interesting. I can't imagine they're going to trip up unless – you know, they, they have a Liverpool injury crisis uh, in the coming weeks. So I think we can conclude that that is pretty much sorted out. Um, well, let's turn our, our attention. You know, Tottenham did beat Burnley 4-0 pretty handily, um, which is tough for Burnley. Um, but the game that uh, I, I think most people would have said it would, was going to be the one to watch uh, was Chelsea Man United. And I, I think the way I'd characterize that is some interesting um, some interesting work from box to box, but not very interesting work inside the boxes. Harshel, how would you characterize the, the match? As a United fan, um, the one thing that I was really pleased about was the fact that for the first time in a long time, United's work off the ball, especially the press, looked really good. United were able to press Chelsea extremely well. And that's not something I've seen under Solskjaer. The, I mean, the United's pressing has been very... Um, it's not been a structured press. It's been individual players sort of running after the ball and leaving gaps in behind. But in this game, we I saw the first sort of um, example of a system in place where they were pressing intelligently, sort of setting pressing uh, traps all over the pitch and not allowing Chelsea to progress the ball very easily through the centre of the park. So that was something I was really pleased with. And I was also... Um, happy with the way the defense to largely dealt with the Chelsea attack. I mean, I was a little bit surprised with how Chelsea went with, uh, I mean, the Chelsea, the, the makeup of the Chelsea attack because there was not a lot of pace in there. So United could sort of push up because Giroud, I mean, there's no real danger of Giroud running in behind. So you can leave space in behind. I would have thought that, I mean, uh, that Timo Werner would have started the game. And in his absence, I mean, when you've got Ziyech, Mount and... Uh, and Giroud as your front three, that's not really going to be uh, uh, an attack that looks to run in behind. So United were able to sort of compress space really well and press well for, uh, from from uh, the front. But yeah, um, <clears throat> from in terms of their own work on the ball, Ulcher had to go with Fred and McTominay in midfield, partly due to injury. I mean, obviously Paul Pogba is not available, but that has been the pivot he selected in big games. And it, it is from an abundance of caution that he does this. And... It's no surprise that United have, I mean, if you look at all the games that they've played against big six, so-called big six teams, they've now, I think it's four goal-less draws now, twice against Chelsea, once against Arsenal, once against Liverpool. So, and the biggest reason for that is I think United lack a ball progressor in the centre of the park when they don't have Pogba. And it's, again, no surprise that Bruno Fernandes has looked, has looked poor in these games. And I don't think that's necessarily his fault. It's just that Fred and McTominay aren't good enough to get the ball to him in central areas. The only time Bruno was receiving the ball, <clears throat> excuse me, in 
dangerous central areas was when he was getting it on the rare occasions that Luke Shaw was going forward or if he was getting it from Rashford or, or Daniel James on occasion. But there was no central progression from United either because they didn't have Paul Pogba. So, I mean, nil-nil, yeah, it's a good point in the sense that you go to Stamford Bridge and come away with a point. United, I think, are now seven games unbeaten against Chelsea in the league. So that's also a pretty decent record against Chelsea overall. But they've given up ground to City again and obviously there's no chance they're catching City anymore. And it's, it's a battle for staying in second now for, for United. Trey, what was your impression of the game? The game was boring. I thought I, I didn't really think it had anything to it. I mean, uh, both of these teams have struggled against top teams so far this season. I don't think I think Chelsea beat Spurs one nil. I think that's the only win they've had against a, a top team. And I don't know if Menu's won any. So I, I I thought you know that there weren't too many clear cut chances created, um, and I think it was just we're just seeing why they're struggling against the top teams. I mean, I, I think that has a lot to do with it in terms of, you know, like Harshaw said, progressing the ball forward and creating opportunities, I, I thought was, it was a big issue. Um, Chelsea obviously had the best chance of the game with, with Ziek, I thought, uh, you know, a big save there to, to keep it at nil, nil, but yeah, I, I didn't really think the game had much, much to it. I thought that that Reese James chance was, a pretty clear-cut chance as well. I thought it was a fantastic block from Luke Shaw. I mean, like next-level block from oh, yeah, Luke yeah, yeah. Shaw. That was uh, that was Matrix stuff. <laughs> so, David, what, what, why, how was it that both of these teams, which have so much star power as strikers, how were they struggling in the box? Was it just the defenses were that great, or what's going on? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> It's okay to say I don't know because soccer. I could, I could could literally say, yeah, I don't know. I thought, I thought both teams defended pretty well, and I think the speed at which both sides reacted to the transition was really impressive. I think um, neither side really got caught out, particularly poorly, like in either of the sort of in the transition. So, yeah, you could put it down to that. yeah, I just thought tactically it was a pretty cagey game and I personally find that kind of game quite interesting. And uh, I understand it's not for everyone. but Well, I still can't get my head around the fact that there were 27 shots, 10 of which were on goal, and zero goals were scored. <laughs> right? I mean, that's just... That's but a head neither, neither side registered an expected goal value over one for the game, right? No, no, it was 0.98. You're right, 9, 0.98 for Chelsea and 0.48 for Man United. So even though they're 27 shots, you had one and a half goals expected out of that, which is yeah. just I think, really. I think that's potentially where like XG obviously isn't a perfect system. Um, yeah. And I think when you're taking a high volume of shots, obviously you said loads of shots, they all have, you know, a relative amount of like XG value. And however many shots did, did you say? So how many shots did uh, Chelsea have? Was it? Chelsea had six shots on target, 16 total. So 16 in total that didn't even get above one. one. I mean, at 0.98, you'd say, oh, they should have scored one goal. But 16 shots is, is, a, is a lot of shots. That's a, a lot yeah. of low XG chances, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's a big thing as well. I think that's that's part of. I mean, obviously, that has a lot to do with why they're why they're continuing to struggle against top teams because when two teams are are defending as well as both of these have, 
the opportunities are going to be few and far between. You have to be able to create at least one or two to go away with, you know, a one or one or a two nil. Would you, would you say, and would you, would you say that result was a better result for Chelsea than it was for Manchester United? I think so. Do you think it's equally poor? Well, I mean, based on the game or based on the... the In general, either, either or. Um, I think walking away from the game, I felt like Chelsea would have been more disappointed uh, not winning Hmm. just based on the, you know, what they did manage to create. Um, And I guess based on the table as well, I think Manu would be more disappointed because they still felt as though they could catch City. Um, I don't know. I I personally thought the league has been over for a few weeks now, but um, yeah, I I think, I think, the point is better for Chelsea, but I think they also should have won the game. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, you, so you look at, you know, Tuchel's run at the moment, he's still undefeated. Um, and I guess a draw against the United isn't isn't a, the worst thing in the world if they're going to continue beating the other teams, mm-hmm. you know, that they're facing. But, you know, United have had a couple of results recently that are games that you would expect them to win. So, you know, the West Brom draw... Um, that high-scoring Everton draw, and even before that, I know back in January they lost to Sheffield United. So there was like had a couple of like you know dodgy results, and those are those are games right now where the way that Tuchel's got Chelsea playing, you would expect Chelsea. Well, maybe Everton might be more difficult one, but certainly you're expecting Chelsea to win most of their games at the moment, the way they're playing. So I wonder if yeah, you're right. I think Chelsea maybe just edged it or whatever in that game. But if they're getting a point against United but beating everyone else, Tuchel's probably not too concerned as long as they're not dropping points to teams above them. I think I think they'll finish second. I'm just going to throw that out there. I like that. I like that. I'm, do you know what? I, I'm going to back you on that. I'm going to second that motion. Let's <laughs> go on. for it. Let's double you down. Heard, you you, you heard it here first, listener. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and, and, and I will say kind of getting back to in the box, I mean, there was that one header where Giroud – two inches either way would have led to a goal or led to a, a split skull. And, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, much like American football, soccer can be a game of inches as well. Um, so let's quick note, Liverpool beat Sheffield United 2-0. Um, nice to for those Liverpool fans. Have they, have they got Chelsea th- this week? On Thursday. That's right. So, I mean, we haven't really spoken much about Liverpool, and I apologise, Liverpool fans. But, hey, if Liverpool win that, then suddenly we're going, oh, yeah, Liverpool will definitely get top four. Right, Uh, yeah. Well, let's hope it's not another one of those uh, uh, snoozers, 1-1 draws, 0-0 draws. Um, Time will tell on that. Everton did win um, 1-0 over Southampton. Uh, They continue to hold their Everton Cup position with a tenacity that you would expect. Um, wanted to spend a little bit of time. If, if, if we look at the, the bottom of the table, um, you know, Sheffield United is pretty much done for. Um, West Brom is going to have to do a, a bit of a miracle. Fulham uh, is really at, at 23 points. And, uh, and then Newcastle and Brighton are tied. And are we also not? Hey, here's a controversial one. Are we saying that Southampton are safe? Oh gosh, they're in they're in free fall. They right have. Now. I mean, have, I would uh, say, yeah. I mean, they're what seven points clear at the moment. But you're right, they're in free fall. So I mean, you would think seven points is enough. But 
given the fact that they, I mean, they can't buy a win at the moment and teams around them are picking up points. Burnley, I don't think are safe. Burnley are five, just five points clear. So yeah, I, I would. I mean, Southampton aren't safe either. They do if, need to pick up. If Southampton were to moments. go another couple of weeks without a win, let's say, and let's let's just say for argument's sake, hey, Burnley get a win, maybe Brighton, Newcastle, and Fulham will get a win, or certainly pick up some points. Something that's going to actually start, yeah, looking a little bit concerning for for Southampton. Yeah, I mean, no one has a worse record of the last five matches in Southampton: four mm-hmm. losses and a tie. Um, so, uh, or draw, I should say. I think it's important uh, to look at who they've played as well. I'm- yeah, that's that, that's a fair point. But when to circle in on on you know those right in the danger zone, that Newcastle, Brighton, and, and Brighton in particular. Um, Harshell, Brighton has been kind of the darling of the analytics, soccer analytics world. And everyone keeps the most, probably the most repeated analytics term or claim I've heard is that, well, Brighton's been underperforming their XG. They should be a whole lot better. Well, guess what? They're in 16th place. I mean, uh, what's, tell us, give us some backstory with what's going on in Brighton. We're at the point in the season now, I mean, so the thing with XG is it's great as a, as a I wouldn't say a predictive tool, but it's great to tell you or, or for you to try and understand trends and try and see if, you know, teams are underperforming, overperforming their sort of goal scoring metrics and whether they can get back to it. But we're at, at a place in the season now where you have to accept the fact that, yes, obviously Brighton are underperforming XG, but there are definitely some bigger reasons there than just pure luck because you don't go what, 26 games, uh, you know, and you're, I mean, and you're still underperforming your XG by 15, 16 odd goals. And and that's what we're right now at the moment. And there's been a lot of talk on, on analytics, Twitter and all of that about why this is the case. Personally, I feel Graham Potter's done a fantastic job in terms of the system he's put in place over the last couple of years, because it's a complete change from the style of play they used to play. Uh, they had earlier, uh, you know, under Chris Hutton. So, it's a complete change in that sense. They're a much more possession-based side. They try and create uh, opportunities through sort of sustained spells of attacking. They, they're very intelligent in terms of how they set up. Formations can change within games, let alone between, you know, game to game. They, they can go from a back four to a back three pretty seamlessly. You know, they've got players who can play multiple positions. So they've got all of that going for them. But obviously, they're, they're having a real struggle in terms of scoring goals. And I feel one thing that, I mean, one of the biggest reasons for that is simply that their strikers aren't good enough. Neil Mopé, who has been their sort of lead striker in the league for the last couple of seasons since he came in from Brentford, he's got, what, seven goals in the league at the moment. And according to Understat, he should have had 11. His XG is at 11.23. He scored seven goals. So he's underperforming by about four, four and a half goals or so. Uh, Last season, he underperformed his XG as well. And that's been a trend with him throughout his career. And I mean, if you look at his, if you look at some of the other sort of numbers, and this credit goes to Luke Griffin on Twitter, from whom I'm taking these numbers, uh, almost he's he's had nearly 47% of his shots that he's taken in the league this season have been blocked. And that's a huge, I mean, that's a ridiculous number for a striker to have nearly half the shots that you take to be blocked suggests that you're either not getting into good positions or that you're getting into good positions, but you're taking too long to take a shot off, which means that somebody's coming in and making the block. And I think it's the second 
uh, the the second scenario that's been more prevalent with Mopé in particular because he's uh, the sense I get is that he's an instinctive finisher that if he it's almost a case of that if he has a lot of time to think whereas if he has time and space on the ball or if he's got maybe he has the opportunity to take a touch and then take a shot he tends to maybe either overcomplicate it or he doesn't put enough power or he doesn't place it and it ends up either being blocked or being an easily saveable shot for the keeper whereas if it's a, a sort of say a cutback that he has to sort of finish first time or a sort of chance where he doesn't have time to think it, it's something he has to do immediately he's done better so that's almost led to the argument that maybe graham potter's also failing the team in a little bit of a sense in that brighton maybe need to start creating the sort of chances that mope is better at taking rather than create these sort of chances where he's not taking them and i'd love to hear what everybody else has to say on this as well Ray, what's what's as a player what's your take on on digesting this and the analytics on that and the in, instinctual sort of finisher that whole approach what's your sense um i mean to be honest when you when you mention instinct i think some people just have it and some people just don't at the end of the day i mean some that's that's why certain strikers are you know at the highest level because they do so well at making the most out of you know small opportunities small spaces whatever the case may be so um obviously you know he's he's a professional they're all professionals they're going to work day in and day out and i'm i'm sure they're aware of some of these things and you know going to try to help him improve in these situations but like Harshal said i mean at the end of the day if he's not the the player for those situations and maybe they need to look you know look look elsewhere and look for somebody else yeah D- david you you've you've done a little bit of work in in preparation for brighton i mean walk us through what what the work you've done yeah well, yeah no not necessarily the work i've done I, i've looked at instat and um i'll quickly share my screen and i'll um show you what i've looked at but um so we've got the top uh image here is brighton's shots from this season and if we just have a look at the sort of i guess the goal scoring zone as such you know the closest area to goal the the highest percentage chance of scoring is 43 percent shots on target which is not great that's just not good um there's no there's no sort of two ways around that that's that's not great um and then obviously in our secondary position here which is our sort of next most likely to score from 26 percent which is also uh pretty poor so if we look at the best goal scoring team we've got manchester united we can see they've got 56 percent of their shots in this uh area and then we've got 38%. So clear increase. Hey, they're the best goal scoring team in the league. No, no surprises there. But just uh, it's just for us to see a sort of a, a golf in the difference there. Um, if we go down to the the worst team in the league for uh, goals, the most goal shy, we look at Sheffield United. They've actually got a higher percentage of shots on target in this area. And then obviously in their secondary area here, it's only minimally different. There's a 1% difference there. So we look at those statistics, it doesn't look great for Brighton. Um, if we're talking about Mopé, yeah, what Harshal said is true. And I think that actually it's a combination of lots of things. I, I've watched every single shot that Mopé's taken this season. And my general feeling around it is that, yeah, there are times where he takes too many touches. But I think predominantly on the whole, 
some of his shot selection isn't great. So he will take shots when clearly it's going to be blocked. And so that leads to blocks and obviously taking too long on the ball, as Harshaw uh, said as well. So he's spot on with, with that. The way that Brighton play, though, um, my friend Harry Brooks, who often likes to put some in, some sort of big opinions out on Twitter, he got hounded for essentially suggesting that maybe Potter um, has you know a role to play in in these. It's not just on the forwards, and actually, I don't think that's a that's a terrible opinion too. And I think that if you watch Brighton play. I personally think that they're they're playing the the final third. They don't. I don't think they stretch the opposition particularly well, which means that it's simple enough for the opposition to get lots of players behind the ball, and again, lead to a less 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 likelihood of you finding space in the box. Um, no more pay basically scores goals exclusively either from the penalty spot or in the six yard box. So, if your centre forward is is a poacher, he's best within that six yard area. And you're not necessarily stretching the opposition particularly well. You're not creating those chances where he's arriving into these areas without um, a lot of pressure. Then that's an issue too. Now, he's not to, to blame as well. There have been chances that he should have taken this year. And and that is an issue. But I think that for us to just go, hey, no more pain needs to be better. There, there's certainly you know more to it. And I think it's a culmination of things. Um, if we're looking at statistics for this season... Uh, y Scout has Brighton underperforming their XG by I think twenty, which is like almost almost unheard of, um, and that's obviously you know, a massive concern. But Brighton have the lowest shots uh, on target percentage uh, this season in the league. I think it's thirty point one percent, which is really poor. So they're not even hitting the target at times, which you know you would probably say, hey, okay, that's coming down to the goal scorers, that's that's maybe the most obvious thing there. Um, but then for shots taken, I think they've taken the fifth highest amount of shots in the league. I could be wrong on that one, but I'm pretty sure they've taken the fifth highest amounts of shots. And yet they've got the lowest percentage. So there's an issue there as well. Um, they've hit the post, the second amount uh, highest amount. They've hit the post 12 times this year. West Ham hitting the post 13 times. So potentially yeah, there is some bad luck there as well. So, you know, when we talk about XG, we often think about Jurgen Klopp's last season at Dortmund. I'm pretty sure it was his last season where things went terribly wrong. And uh, Christopher Bierman covers it particularly well in his book, Football Hackers, where he talks about this period of time and that actually the Dortmund board had looked at the expected goals value. They would have gone, hold on a second. We've been very unlucky this year. So when we look at XG, we instantly go, they've either been unlucky or the forward's been poor, and I think it's probably a culmination of both. But nevertheless, I think that Harry, Harry's tweet talking about Potter definitely actually has some credibility that potentially the build-up play hasn't necessarily been great in creating these these high-quality chances. Oh, and it should be mentioned as well that Neil Morpay's actually got fantastic movement as well. So he, whether or not we're talking about his finishing, I actually think Morpay's movement off the ball is, is very good. And he's potentially got himself into positions to shoot that maybe another forward wouldn't have done. So, well, and I think that the statistics bear that out. I mean, if you mm -hmm. if you look at the Y Scout numbers in terms of successful attacking actions per ninety minutes, he's ranked twentieth in the Premier League um, okay. at two point five five. So, uh, you know, be, even though he's underperformed in terms of goals scored, there are a lot of other things he does, a la Firmino. Um, 
Drea, what's your sense? You know, you look at their underperformance really in, in kind of the optimal area, which uh, broadly speaking is between the sticks, maybe a little wider the sticks, between the six and the 18-yard line. That's where most goals are scored. How do how does a coach translate the need to score more from there to a player besides you need to be there? Help us unpack how a coach translates, and then how does a player – process that and then actually start to manifest it yeah um i think i think there are a couple of different layers to it i mean obviously first and foremost like you said like you do have to be in this space to you know both create and take advantage of the chances um but even more than that you have to be comfortable you have to be confident so that when the ball comes to you you're not you're not rushing things you're not you know, you're still composed and, and, and you're making sure that you're doing your best job in front of the goal. And I think, you know, when I, when I look at some of Brighton's play and some of the statistics, I mean, in their, I think last two games, they had 70% possession or something like that. When you have the ball that much, you have to be able to really break teams down to create opportunities because at the end of the, they're just going to sit back and they're just going to, you know, form walls and make it really difficult for you to create those opportunities and those clear cut chances that you want. So you just have to be even more clever and, and really take advantage of, okay, you know, I have this little bit of space. Can I, you know, bend it around the defender here, whatever the case may be, uh, to be able to take advantage and get your goals. Um, so, yeah, I, I think even looking at, I think they have five wins on the year. Uh, in four of those wins, they, they were dominated in terms of possession. They didn't have the ball that much, and that changes their play. And I think that changes the type of chances that you create because – Oftentimes you'll be on the counter or, or something like that. And, uh, you know, there's more space. And then when you do finally get the ball in those areas, you, you like I said, you have, you have, once you have more space, anything is really possible. So I think their biggest way to in, improve that is just to continue to work on getting guys in the right areas, getting the proper service and just have, just keep repeating it and repeating it. And, uh, you know, the more repetition, the more comfortable, comfortable you get and the more comfortable you get the, better chance of you scoring. So let's turn our attention to some of the matches coming up. We're almost getting a double dose of games coming up uh, midweek and over the weekend. Uh, we start off today, Man City is taking on Wolves, uh, which could be a, a, a banana peel of sorts for Man City. Wolves are always really tough. Um, Man United's playing Crystal Palace tomorrow. Uh, Leicester's playing Burnley. Thursday, we have that Liverpool-Chelsea uh, game. Um, just quick hot takes, um, David. Give us give us a scoreline and 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 why uh, on for that that game for the Thursday game. Yeah, Liverpool Chelsea. Well, hey, I'm pretty sure I got the uh, Chelsea United score right. Didn't I say nil nil? I think you did actually. Yeah, I think you did. Right, pressure's on then. Um, I am. I'm expecting there to be. Oh, that's a really tough one. It could, I mean, <laughs> Chelsea haven't been conceding masses of goals, have they? So, um, and obviously Liverpool have been a bit better in goal in front of goal recently, but they might find it difficult against that Chelsea side. So I'm going to say two, one Chelsea. Is it at Chelsea or Liverpool? That would change things. At Liverpool. Ah, see, I'm sticking with it now. But 
Should I should have looked that up beforehand? Just have no, we'll, give, we'll give it. We'll give it two one Liverpool. If you know, we're we're uh, generous people. No, uh, no, you can go with that, Chris. I'm going two one Chelsea still. Dre, I'm pretty sure Liverpool's lost the last four at home. Uh, really? I think yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> They've lost, They've lost the last four games City. at home. When, when right. was the last time they lost the last four at Anfield? Really? That's 28, uh, I, think I think it was the beginning of time is when that, that was. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I think it's, yeah, it's 1928 or something. So they basically didn't lose a game at home for four years and now they've lost four games in a row. Wow, what a fantastic stat. Yeah, I was, was going to ask I was ask you if it really does change anything that is at Anfield, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's inc- that's incredible. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm i going with Chelsea. I'll start there. Um, the question is how much. I, I'm anticipating an, an exciting game. I'd maybe say, I think 2-0 two, two Chelsea. They've defended pretty well. I don't think Wow, 2-0 Chelsea. Harshell. A little close to my school on there, Dre, don't you think? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think it'll be a draw. I don't think Chelsea will be able to come away with the win because I guess they haven't conceded goals, but they haven't looked really convincing to, to me in an attacking sense. Probably a one-all. I'll, I'll probably go for one-all. Who, who's oh. going to be playing at the back for Liverpool though, hey? Probably Kabak and Phillips, I guess. You don't think Allison will give him another I say you don't think Allison will give him another goal? <laughs> I don't think Allison's going to be playing. Is he going home for his... Uh, I have no idea. I don't think so because he played this week. He played this week, so I mean that's 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 got inter- I mean, obviously, I don't really want to go into too much depth about a tragedy like that, but that has got interesting implications for the goalkeeper spot because if he was to go home and no one would blame him, of course, but then he would have to isolate before. Yeah, I think that's why he's not going. I think that's the reason he's. Gosh, that's could be. Could be. Yeah. How difficult. I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. I'm sorry for being unoriginal, but that's what my my gut tells me. As far as the weekend goes, Arsenal is playing Burnley, um, as well as Aston Villa playing Wolves. Brighton and Leicester City um, have a tussle. uh, And we've got the Manchester Derby. Uh, Any thoughts on predictions, Harshell? I I can't see anybody stopping City at the moment, not even United. So might United might nick a goal, but probably two one to City. Two one City. Uh yeah. I, I unfortunately agree with that. Uh David, what would it take for Man United to upset City? Um they would need to trap him in the locker room beforehand or in, something. An act of God. Uh <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't I don't see it happening. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go bold again because last time it paid off with the PSG game so I'm going to say 4-0 City wow <laughs> wow okay okay alright <laughs> just, to, just to see Harshal's face and I said I was, that I wasn't going to be far off I was going to say 3-0 um, hey, okay. there we go. I, I, I hope you're putting some money on these predictions David because you know what, hey. pay off <laughs> <laughs> if, if, it's, if it goes if it goes to 4-0 I'm not like a genius otherwise <laughs> It just looks like I'm trying to wind you up, which might be the case. <laughs> so Chelsea plays Liverpool on Thursday, and then they play Everton on Monday. I wonder if they get any uh, – they save some money by not having to travel so much, though I guess one's in, in uh, Liverpool and the other's in uh, in London. How, how about West Ham Leeds, um, Seymour? What do you, what I, think, do you- I think that's a potentially very difficult game. 
Um, I think when you look at the upcoming fixtures for West Ham, there's, there's potentially the... I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's potentially one of the easier ones. So it puts a lot of pressure on West Ham to pick up a win here. I don't know. I really couldn't. I couldn't even say. I'd like to think West Ham will win this one, but who who can say with Leeds? Give me a number. We'll go, do you know what? We'll go uh, one 0 West Ham. Okay, one uh, 0 West Ham. Harshell. Yeah, I, I think West Ham probably will win the game because Leeds have looked a little bit flat over the last month or so. Mm-hmm. They've also had a lot of injury issues. Calvin Phillips has been out. They've, I mean, I think their defense has also been a rotating cast, especially at centre-back. Yeah. So, depend, I, I'm not sure what the fitness uh, sort of situation might be with regard to who Bielsa is able to call on in terms of whether he's going to get a few of those players back. But regardless, I think, yeah, probably West Ham to edge it 2-1. Trey? Uh, I think a two-all draw. Two-all. You think they're going to score twice against us? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I suspect it's going to be a 1-0 West Ham. Leeds has had some real difficulty with the low block. And, uh, you know, West Ham's, uh, let's call it a a, a 6-4, if you will, (laughs) Um, uh, in terms of super deep blocks is – Really frustrates Leeds. They don't have. They can't afford a gajillion dollars for strikers to finish inside that the uh, that kill zone six to the. Do, do I get to tell my uh, my story now, Chris? About the yes, please do tell your story. So walking through Richmond Park on Monday, Monday morning, and I see what I think is Declan Rice running towards me. But Richmond Park, for anyone who's not from London is in West London. And I'm going, uh, why would Declan Rice be in West London? So I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. But he, he looked at me and I was trying to work out if it was him. And he sort of hesitated for a second, potentially wondering if I was uh, going to stop him for a picture or, I don't know, maybe attack him. And um, the, it clicked. It was him. He wasn't in West Ham stuff, but it's difficult to tell someone if they're, you know, someone for, if it's someone famous when they're not in what you did, like the, the area or the situation to expect to see him in. So I just I didn't want to stop him, so I just chucked the uh, the crossed hammers up, and uh, and he laughed and did the same and carried him running. But that was a good interaction, and uh, yeah, I found out afterwards that his family are from Richmond, so that makes sense. But that's my little story. Sweet brush a brush with fame there. Well, that's a great place to wrap up uh, the pod for today. Um, we're sponsored by the Premier League Guide, Moneyball for Football, Opposition Analysis Plus Eye Candy. The current update is available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Join us next Monday for our Football Thinking Fans podcast. For now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao.